Ma'am, ano ka na-taong? If you're listening to us live, and God knows why you should, from Zurich, Switzerland, good morning. From the underground blood match screening center on sub-level 14, deep in Area 51, hello and welcome to TalkCast 304, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Enjoying every new flavor of Tic Tacs because I can and it won't put me into a diabetic coma. I am the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, uh, many of the regular cast uh, for a change... <laughs> Uh, in the Revere Time Vortex, the technical anarchist, button pusher to the stars. She knows what they're actually for. It's our own girl genius, Kriana. Have you tried the tropical fruit ones? I have. I don't like them. They have Really? I really like those. I really? eat like a whole big one of those in like a week. <laughs> it's really not good. <laughs> no, it's not good. But then again, it won't put you into a diabetic shock, so what No, but I'll probably like pee like... Rainbows. Antifreeze? I don't know where that was going. You'll pee rainbows, but it'll be fine. Sounds good. From the stacks of her personal space in the Dank Dungeons Industrial Film Trailer Review Board, friend of robots everywhere, and her nemesis, the mute button, welcome Zombrarian. What's my unicorn superpower? I haven't a clue. Please tell me. Well, Kriana pees rainbows, so what's mine? That's my mutant superpower? Okay. <laughs> unicorn superpower. Oh, unicorn. What's wrong with you people? I was wondering why yeah. nobody was chiming in with uh, my yeah. my horn emanates magical energy. Uh-huh. It turns all everybody into big-eyed stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. Or, or anime uh, characters. Returning for a three-week vacation at the La Brea Tar Pits Wildlife Sanctuary, Dunking Tank, diligently searching for Lancelot Link secret chimp, our Midwest correspondent, the guy who likes shiny stuff, awake by Java. Has it been three weeks? Yeah, it kind of has. <laughs> it actually may have been longer than that. Sometimes, it's been sometimes, at least three weeks. Sometimes time moves strangely. In the Midwest? <laughs> just yesterday for example for example yesterday all of a sudden i had all the kids in bed and it was 6 30 what that seems like it didn't happen that, that seems no, like no, it, a fever it dream. happened my wife was in bed by 5 30 the kids were in bed by 6 30 and then i went out and had a beer at a bar 
Oh, so you mean AM. <laughs> you were dreaming. You fell asleep no. on the couch. That's what happened. No, there was a person there who I knew. <laughs> I have. That actually I, saw you there? I'm impressed. I, I'd like you to call them and bring them on the show to verify that. Right <laughs> now. I actually, yeah, I met... We've talked about your imaginary friend not actually being able to provide alibis. No, I met some guys who were doing a podcast there at the bar about beer. And they had beards. <laughs> they had beards. And guess so what the name of their podcast somewhere? was? What was the podcast? Beer Beards. Beer and Beards. Oh my god, I was right. Holy shit. <laughs> did you tell them that that has another meaning that they may not intend? I, I, did, I didn't know how to bring it up. <laughs> oh, because, you know. Hmm. Joining the podcast tonight are uh, our, our, our two guests. Uh, our first Poor guest. Thing. Well our first guest, who we'll be talking about second. So that kind of made no sense at all. Uh, <laughs> Hope Nicholson. Hope, welcome to the show. Right. And Hope, we're going to be talking about your new book that you just finished editing, Secret Loves of Geek Girls, and uh, how that's going, and all things Hope Nicholson. But before we get to that, I'd like to introduce somebody who's been on the show before, and lo and behold... She's back again. Karen Goslin. Karen, hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Back. Glad to be back. And I will take Kriana's Tic Tac eating challenge. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it was a challenge, but I if you want to take it challenge. that way, um, I will call 911 for you. We'll call now. Just kind of leave a message. Drop by at some point tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, sounds good. Do I get a sick day from work? You probably I, I think do. very least you get a sick day from me. <laughs> I think you do. We are in the middle of uh, our Kickstarter funding for My Peculiar Family, uh, which is a series of short stories from friends of the show all about a particular set of pictures. And Karen and I, who have known each other... Wow. Three, four, five years now? Go oh, ahead. Yeah, just about. That's the rumor, anyway. All right, wait, okay. Go ahead, Just, just think about this. What sounds interesting? A particular set of pictures. Why do people what? care about these pictures? No, when you say I, it I'm like that, gonna, it sounds like I did something. Uh... I'm not going to say. I'm not going to do it for you this time. I'm going to talk you through it. What's so special about these pictures, Dome? Well, they're based on a stories about... No, trying to... try again. What do you mean, no, try again? I mean, wrong. Try again. What's so we special about the these net pictures? For porn? We do that. But, yes. I mean, <laughs> other than that, that has nothing to do with the pictures you wrote a story about. <laughs> what kind of pictures are they? They're tintypes. Where did you find them? I found them everywhere. Okay. And these stories are all about the tintypes that we found. Why did you write a story about a tintype? Why didn't you just look at who was on it? Well, that's kind of what we did. I know, but I'm saying is, why did yeah. you need to write a story about it? Because Well, we, we created this wonderful universe. No. Where... You're missing my point. Go ahead. Well, why, go did, ahead. why did you need to write a story about it? Because they're so old. As the story goes. That no one knows who they found. are anymore. They were found in 
the attic of a house. Except they weren't. You found them at a yard sale. That's just the story. Well, right? that's I'm, as, try, I'm trying to explain. As the story goes. So, yeah, anyway, actually, that's not true because we actually did find the originals in somebody's attic. And we were looking at them, and, and I asked the person whose house it was, who are these people? And she said, I don't know. So I thought about it, and we thought about making up stories about it. We created this fictional young lady named China Dale who finds these. And we wrote, we sent these pictures to authors, and sometimes to artists like you. So how did you get involved with this? Because you're primarily known as an artist. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, I recall sitting at a table in a really horrible restaurant, and we were talking about... <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, yes, you know the one. And, yes, um, <laughs> and uh, you were talking about it, and I was very shyly keeping my mouth closed and, and not mentioning that I do writing, and then my husband smacked me in the shoulder, and I spoke up and said, I do writing. Yeah, that, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of you. And then you know, and then push came to shove, and you gave me a really great shot at a really fun project. Now we we had put all the uh, names to these these people just so that you would get a picture, a name, and kind of an occupation. And we gave you this wonderful picture of. Isabella, yep. who we had decided for no apparent reason whatsoever was a painter. <laughs> yes, and you know, I almost, I almost made her like a house painter just to screw with you. <laughs> <laughs> she paints houses in the Civil War era. Yes, and about a month and a half later, I got this wonderful story back from you titled. Oh, existential circumstances. Yes, it's a pun. The <laughs> beginning is spelled E-G-G. And it's uh, our lovely artist living on her own in a time where living on her own as a woman would have been seen as taboo, gets a very strange commission from a very eccentric and very wealthy man. And then she ends up in the crossfire between uh, pretty much good and evil. Good and evil. Yeah, that's exactly where I hoped you were going with that. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And yeah. for, for those of your fans who have seen you at conventions around the New England area who don't know you as a writer, uh, they're going to be really, really surprised with this story because it's, it's kind of really cool and really oh, amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I hope they're both surprised and pleased. I had a ton of fun with this story. I also, I also had a, um, a couple of frustrating moments with the story because I, I started second guessing myself at a couple points and, and uh, having to, you know, just take a breather, go back, relook at it, and go, okay, it's not as bad as I think, and then just, just keep going. Um, which they tell you is, you know, what you're supposed to do in writing. Just keep going. <laughs> fix it later. <laughs> fix it later. You know, They'll and, fix it uh, in post. It's not a problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm I'm really looking forward to sharing this story with with everybody. Um this is this is really exciting. At the time of this taping, the Kickstarter is at 74% with 25 days left to go. Uh I would really like to get to 100% as quickly as possible just because that would be a cool thing to have happen. So if you're listening, uh hop on over to Kickstarter, look for 
my peculiar family. Uh, if you're hearing this uh, off the website, there will be a hard link to it. Join us. Uh, get a chance to read Karen's story. It's really, Absolutely. really nice. And, Absolutely. And I, can, thank you. and I can't thank you enough for... Uh, you know, not being uh, a fraidy cat and actually deciding to go ahead and do this. <laughs> well, of course I was going to do this. This was a really exciting opportunity. And come on, I get to write a story in the same book as one of my childhood heroes, uh, Tracy Hickman. Okay. Um, who's yep. going to pass that up? Not and, me. Chris, and Chris Golden. And Chris Golden. Although, I mean, he's a fantastic writer and I wish, I mean, I need to pick up more of his books. Um, and my friend Stacy Longo, I mean, I mean, come, this is this is a fantastic opportunity, and I hope everybody go out there, find this Kickstarter, donate, share it with your friends, because this is awesome. Well played. <laughs> Thank you That's so right, much, baby. For, <laughs> thanks so much for taking five minutes to come on with us. Oh, my pleasure. I always love visiting with you guys. Uh, thank you, sweetheart. What have you got for conventions coming up in the in the foreseeable future? Oh, well, we're we're just starting to book. We've got Massive Con, um, Super Mega Fest, Granite State. We just booked Boston, which made me hyperventilate a little because the prices went up. Um, <laughs> uh, we've got we might be doing Queen City Kamikaze Con, which is a really little convention in Manchester, but you know we. We enjoy going every year. Um, we're gonna try. We're gonna try doing mice when registration owns, opens up. Um, yeah, and we're we're always looking for new conventions, uh, new th new places to go, and and just get to know people. You know, get you know the word out about my artwork and now my writing. Um, yeah. So so far that's it, and we're still booking. Cool. Yeah. Well, well why don't we just post your like name and phone number on the website? So they can call you if they have ideas where they want you to go. <laughs> right, right. Hey, come here. There yeah, you oh, go. we're gonna be we're gonna be doing um a Vermont Comic Con oh, as well okay. this year. So Yeah, we're gonna give that one a try. Well, thank you so much for joining us, my darling. It's always oh. a pleasure to spend a couple of minutes with you. And it's always wonderful to see you at conventions and, and how well uh, the participants respond to seeing your artwork for the first time. I love the look on their faces when they see it for the first time. It's just amazing. It's wonderful. Aww. You're wonderful. And, and thanks for everything. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I love you guys. You know, thanks for having me on and, uh, hope have fun. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to hang out for a little bit and listen to, uh, the interview because I mean, it sounds like what you do is, is, uh, really interesting and I'd like to learn more. So if you don't mind, I, I'd love to hang out for a little bit. I think we can imagine that. That would be awesome. You think you can let me? I think so. Oh. I just got a spam email from eHarmony. I couldn't be happier. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that happened. It's just weird crap going on. So, I first read about Hope Nicholson uh, when I was... Uh, putting together uh, our, our webpage uh, of daily information that we send out via Facebook. And I stumbled upon a, uh, an article in Bleeding Cool. And the title of it intrigued me. It, the title of it is, What Did Hope Nicholson Do When a Comic-Con Canceled on Her? Which kind of gave the impression that they canceled her, 
but that's not what happened at all. Hi, Hope. Welcome to the show. Hey. So when I was reading this article, and you had bought tickets to the show, shipped all your books ready to go, and at how long before you were supposed to leave did you find out that Wizard World had actually canceled the Atlanta show? I think it's about three weeks. And you went through the five stages of grief at that point. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like definitely at first I thought there might be a mistake because uh, I just had been Googling it to double check the dates of the convention. And that's when I found a little um, blurb in a press release that they'd sent to Bleeding Cool that said, we've canceled the Atlanta convention, but we're going on with the one in Portland. And I'm like, oh, well, that's a weird thing to say. Um, so I double checked the website. And sure enough, the website no longer existed. I checked their Facebook, no information there. I double checked my emails and my spam and everything. Nothing there, nothing on their Twitter. No information except for this one half a line sentence in the middle of another convention's press release. Um, so Did then you I ever eventually them. get any response from them at all? Yeah, uh, I got a, a response about three days later. And they said, yeah, we canceled it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, were you going to let like anyone know? <laughs> you know, especially people who are guests of the convention and who have non-refundable plane tickets there and who you know are traveling all the way over there so i had all my books already shipped there um i had uh, uh my flights booked and yeah and it was in the middle of a book tour i was doing so i was flying from winnipeg where i'm from to new york for a book event and then to georgia and then to la so it's not like i could have even tried to cancel it what ended up happening at that point how did how did you turn that it's financial and emotional tragedy into what eventually happened. I wouldn't say it was very emotional, but um, I mean, you definitely have to figure out what to do at that point. Either you just cancel and take the loss or you see if there's an alternate thing. So I decided to keep on going to Georgia and try to contact um, some book festival, uh, sorry, some bookstores and comic stores in the area to see if they'd be willing last minute to give me some space to sell the books and promote them. And sure enough, I was able to find two criminal records and Dr. Knows and yeah, had a nice time in Georgia, was able to do events there and it ended up being pretty good. So, but you never really got a really good answer from them as to why it got canceled in the first place. Oh, I don't expect them to tell me why it got canceled. Something about finances. Um, but <laughs> yeah, they did offer me, they did offer me uh, free tables at any two conventions I wanted to go to, and I explained to them that, you know, with, with flight and accommodation, that it's not really practical for me to go anywhere from Winnipeg. Georgia was just a, you know, a trial thing. And then they upgraded it after the Bleeding Cool article came out that I think the guy from Dr. Nose had written after we had had a chat. And uh, they said I could be a guest in, in their convention in Des Moines, Iowa. And I said, you know, I'm, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. Not that there's anything wrong with Iowa. I'm sure the, the community there is quite nice. Um, but still, I have to, even if you're giving me a hotel room and table fees, that's still flight travel. I have to get there and shipping, and you don't know what's going to happen. And honestly, how do I know they're not going to cancel it again last minute? You really don't at that point. 
So it's, it's too much of a financial risk and they just have not done a great job of, uh, of the whole situation. I mean, they wouldn't have even uh, offered to have me as a guest if it wasn't for the Bleeding Cool article. So I wasn't super happy with that. Yeah, that that's, was an unfortunate situation that luckily because of the folks at Dr. No Comics and, and the people at Bleeding Cool, you know, didn't turn out to be a horrible experience and actually turned out to have some uh, positive stuff for you. Yeah, they have, you, uh, they have great food in Georgia too, so that was nice. So the book you were there to promote is, is your new book, The Secret Loves of Geek Girls. Yep. Let's talk about the book a little bit. Um, for the people who are just listening in and haven't heard of it before, what's it about? Sure, it was funded through Kickstarter, and it just uh, was published last month, um, and actually was picked up for a worldwide release by Dark Horse Comics uh, in October, so there's going to be another edition coming out soon. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. It was a very exciting little bit of time, and the Kickstarter was exceptionally popular, which was cool. And uh, it's a nonfiction anthology of comics and prose stories and illustrated stories about love, sex, and dating by women in the fandom industry. So that's sci-fi writers, comic book creators, video game designers, fangirls, and cosplayers. How'd you get the idea for the book? Uh, I was developing a TV show concept a while back that was going to focus on the daily lives of women in the geek community. So fangirls getting ready for a convention, basically. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't get picked up by anyone. And I was in Toronto, and a lot of my friends were women who were, you know, huge geeks. And often we'd get together and we'd talk about life, and sometimes talk about life led to talking about love and our frustrations with that. And I realized that all of us had these really interesting, unique perspectives that I didn't really see being discussed anywhere. So I wanted to give a space for them to be able to have these discussions, and that's where the concept for the anthology came from. But the anthology is like uh, just a ton of different stories here. These, these can't all be people that... Where, where did all these stories come from? Um, their own personal lives, pretty much. No, I mean, how, how did you find the people for all these stories? Oh, um, a lot of them are friends of mine from Toronto. So if you look at the back of the bios, a lot of them are Toronto-based people. Some of them are friends of mine from online and conventions. A few people I've never met in person, though uh, I hope to change that shortly. And yeah, so I may basically create a space for my friends and a few other people wanted to join in. They recommended people. And then I did a, a open call for submissions for a few more slots. But yeah, by and large, I know all of the contributors. Very cool. <laughs> I was just wondering, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm going, my God, all these, all these contributions is just like a 300 page book and it's just wonderful oh thank you so you did all the editing for this uh did you say to the people who were writing the stories you know you'd hear a story and you go why did you write about that or um did you just I didn't let really them bring their own in uh well i, I have some guidelines in the beginning of the project, things about tone and audience uh, that I illustrated to them. And by and large, people mostly followed it, although I made flexibility around a few. Uh, for example, um, my main thing at first was going to be that there shouldn't be any kind of erotic content. 
because the book really, if you talk about sex, it should be in kind of a matter-of-fact tone or educational tone. That's what the book is about. Um, but one of the stories did end up being a little sexy, and it was such a well-written story that it would have been hard to remove that from it and still have it be the same story. So I left it in. <laughs> okay, so I have to ask only because it's a wonderful story. How did you get Margaret Atwood involved in this? Uh, we were working together on a project called Angel Catbird, which is also going to be published by Dark Horse in October. So I'm the consulting editor on that project. Um, she's doing a superhero comic book series in graphic novel form. So we were working together on that, and we were talking a bit about Kickstarter as an avenue to do it, and I mentioned to her that I was doing this project, and I knew that she had uh, drawn and written cartoons in the past, and asked her if she had any cartoons I could license for the project to help bring attention to the book. And she said, well, you know, I don't really think I have anything in particular, but how would I just draw you some new stories instead? So that's how that worked out. What can you tell a person who's just hearing about this for the first time that's going to draw them to the book? What's special about this book? Aside from the fact that... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, sorry, I interrupted. No, aside from the fact that it's clearly a passion project for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, not all passion projects get made. It's about whether or not they kind of reach out to a larger audience. And I think the big thing about this project is that the tone of and the audience is supposed to be women talking to women. So it's not explaining to men why, you know, uh, what they can do better or uh, expressing frustration with uh, someone dumping them and how bad their behavior was. But it's more about, this is my experience, these are my stories. And every one story is different, even if they're in similar situations. Like, there's a lot of stories where people have been in a relationship for a year, and at that point, they don't know whether or not they love their partner. And so in some of the stories, uh, they keep on going and they discover that they never really did. And they have to eventually break it off a few years down the line. Or in other stories, they keep going and they fall in love with their partner a bit later on. And so the interesting thing is there's no one right solution or path. And by telling all of these different stories, it was kind of my way of telling people, you're not alone. Everyone's going through these difficult things. And... As long as you make a decision, it doesn't really matter what decision it is, as long as you make one. Now, one of your other passion projects that uh, is really, I think, uh, incredible on its own is the republishing of uh, Nelvana of the Northern Lights. Yeah, I've uh, done two 1940s Canadian comic book reprints, and I'm still continuing to work on those occasionally. Okay, so for the listeners who don't know the story behind this uh, superheroine. Uh, could you give me just kind of the background on it? Sure. In the 1940s, Canadian, um, the Canadian industry actually banned American comic books along with any other non-essential goods from entering the country. A way to kind of use our money for war purposes and to only buy items from the U.S. that were essential for war purposes. And so one of those things was comic books, and so we created our own industries within Canada during that time, and one of the creations was Nelvana the Northern Lights, who was loosely based on this uh, Inuit woman in the Northwest Territories that Frank Johnston, who's a member of the Canada's elite artist group, the Group of Seven, had met during his travels. He told it to his friend Adrian Dingle, who said, wow, 
how would I make her into a superhero? And at that time, there's very, very few female superheroes in comics, and definitely no one that was popular. Wonder Woman wouldn't hit the stands, for example, for another four months. And so this was a character who's an Inuit demigoddess who used the powers of the Northern Lights to fight Nazis and interdimensional invaders and go on adventures. And this, this all happened between 1940 and 1947, somewhere in there? Yeah. And... At the end of World War II, what happened to these comic books? Did the characters just kind of fade away? or? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. The restrictions were lifted. American comic books, which could be printed much, much cheaper and distributed much, much wider by more experienced companies, flooded the market, and there really was no way for Canadian comics to compete. So that's just kind of what happened. <laughs> Now you've also put, have you also put together is I'm sure I don't know if this film is done yet or not. Lost Heroes: The Untold Story of Canadian Superheroes. Yeah, I was a producer on that film. It came out a few years ago. Um, it was broadcast on the Canadian Channel Super Channel, and so that was a documentary on the history of the Canadian superhero. And so that included both Nelvana, the Northern Lights, and other characters from the '40s, as well as the revival of interest in the 1970s with Captain Canuck and Northgard. Um, and then American versions of Canadian characters, you know, such as Deadpool, Alpha Flight, and the like. And Wolverine, of course. Wolverine, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he is the most popular one. How did you get involved in the whole geek community? Where, what was your moment? Uh, I guess I was always mostly an isolated geek. Um, I remember the first time I found someone to talk about comics with, I was actually my friend from Atlanta that I was staying with during the convention, was the one of the first days I was in my undergraduate degree, and I saw some guy talking about, uh, I don't even know the comic, I think he was talking about Preacher, actually, with another guy, and I just stormed in and I said, you're talking about comic books, I read comic books, do you want to talk about comic books? <laughs> um, and it, it and he was like, yeah. And so we just kept trading comics back and forth. Um, and that's pretty much what our friendship was based on. And uh, the first time I met, I think, a female nerd was maybe three years later. I was um, working at the feminist library at school. And one of my coworkers made a joke about Captain Jack. And I was like, wait, I'm sorry. You watch Doctor Who? I watch Doctor Who. Do you want to talk about this a lot? You're into Slash? This is great. Let's talk about this. And uh, so those were my first kind of little forays into just finding friends with common interests. But I never really um, thought about joining a wider community or world of it, because even online communities kind of made me nervous until I came back from my master's degree and really wanted to find kind of a community of people who were into the same things. And so I started going out to events and book signings and conventions and just kind of connecting with a bunch of people who were into similar stuff I was. And from then, I also started connecting with a lot of artists and writers and seeing the timeless scenes of the comic world. And now it's, it, has this become your life, I guess, more than anything else? This is what you do now. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's weird that it, it's become all-consuming, and maybe that's why I avoided it for so long, because I knew once I was in, it would be so hard to get out. Uh, but I, I mean, I love the industry, and I, I even though I'm frustrated with it so, so much of the time, and I love community building, and uh, even recently I've moved back to my hometown of Winnipeg, 
And I'm looking into ways to kind of bolster the community and get people together to give them that thing that I, I kind of always wanted when I lived here. And now you own, um, and I just lost, Bedside Press. Yeah, yeah. Bedside Press is my little publishing company. It's been around for about two years now, and uh, we'll hopefully start going this year. And I've published Brock Windsor, which was another 1940s Canadian comic book character, and um, Secret Loves Geek Girls, and yeah. And in the new year, I'm going to have about four more projects this year. And that was my next question. What's coming up for you in the next year? Well, in March, I'm starting a new project that'll be Kickstarter called Fashion in Action. And it's actually a reprint of an American comic book from the 1980s. And the purpose of this project, even though it is a reprint, is also to kind of bring attention to the prevalence of fashion in comics and why it's faded away, the resurgence lately. So it's going to be kind of an interesting historical comic, but it's also going to be really fun. And I'm looking forward to doing it. I'm working very closely with the original creator, John K. Snyder III, who's doing all the restoration, all of the incentives and everything himself. So it's, uh, it's going to be really great. And then aside from that, uh, there's no other project I can really officially announce other than Angel Catbird, which is um, with Dark Horse. And that's Margaret Atwood's comic with Johnny Christmas about uh, a superhero who's half cat, half bird, half man. Or I guess a third of cats. <laughs> three halves. There's three halves there. That's yeah. fine. That's absolutely fine. So I hope <clears throat> when your new Kickstarter uh, opens up, you'll let us know so that we can help promote it. Sure. And when you're uh, doing conventions, uh, please let us know so we can promote that as well. Are you after this run of conventions? Are you planning on doing any more? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was just doing book tour events this month, um, but the conventions I have on the docket are Emerald City, uh, C2E2, Toronto Comic Arts Festival, Vancouver Comic Arts Festival, and um, San Diego Comic Con. But I'm not going to be tabling at all of those, uh, just C2E2, Toronto, Vancouver, I think. I'm glad you chose a bunch of small ones to go to so that you can relax, you know. <laughs> well, you know, VanCap is pretty small, but um, the others, yeah, I mean, with the cost of how much it takes me to fly anywhere from Winnipeg, sure. like, unfortunately, I have to pretty much not be able to take a chance on smaller conventions. It, makes, it only makes sense. So is there anything else before we move on that you want the world to know about the world of Hope Nicholson? Uh, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Um, cool. Besides the projects I've talked about, yeah, as I said, I'm working on doing some community building things in Winnipeg and have a bunch of events lined up. So I'm excited to see how that turns out in the new year. But I'm sure a lot of your followers aren't from Winnipeg, so that probably doesn't matter. But if they want to do things in their own city, I kind of encourage people to get out there, start throwing events, even if not many people come, and just try to make safe spaces for everyone. That would be an absolutely wonderful thing to have happen. I would, I'm so happy we had a chance to talk to you today. Uh, I'm so happy that uh, your book is doing well because it's the kind of book that uh, we need more of in the community. I just thought it was a lot of fun to read and, and I had a really good time with it. Uh, thanks a lot for being on the show. All right. Thanks for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Kriana? 
in the middle of a vainglory match, but um, oh, okay. I, I have enough bandwidth to say, Karen, back off your mic, please, love. <laughs> because it's time for... Creepy breathing. I mean... What? The news. I like the creepy breathing, but okay. That I was hope good. you actually have news, but... All right, well, Java and I have some news here tonight. Awesome. Java. Is any of it Doctor Who related? Because otherwise I don't care. <laughs> I've got some Harry Potter stuff though. Eh, Zombrian, I'll take that. Yeah, I figured as much. Java, where do you want to go first tonight? Java forgot Just, about his mute button again. Yeah, it's a I forgot about my mute button again. <laughs> I oh, here's here's the problem with crossover shows. Uh, okay. That means that I have to go ahead and watch the entire other show so that I understand how their universes fit together. So what you're saying Unless is sometimes they don't just You like haven't been watching Supergirl to this point, have you? Right? Bones and Sleepy Hollow? <laughs> what that the didn't make fuck any was sense. That? that was that the worst crossover ever. What oh my the God. fuck was that? <laughs> I don't watch Sleepy Hollow. My wife watches Bones. I so, don't watch Bones anymore. My wife watches Bones. I, no, I don't. watch Sleepy no, Hollow. You used to watch Bones all the time. A year ago. Yeah, I but, don't anymore. I don't have time. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, it's not the the reward for watching Bones is not you know, enough for putting up with all of the rest of it. Um, which is really why I, I'm I'm kind of finding this next crossover dubious as well. I don't know whether watching Supergirl is worth it. Um, I love the Flash, and I li- I still like Arrow. But really? I don't because I can't get any further into it. I just I start watching an episode and I facepalm really hard, and I just I find yeah, him but- so repulsive and scummy that I can't watch it anymore. If I remember correctly. You're still on season two? Uh, hmm, I don't actually remember. That tells you the last time I tried to watch it. Let me check. Um, um, yeah, well, that that this this latest season... Just started season, season three, actually. Okay. The, the latest season, after you get past the whole League of Assassins stuff... Um, Which, let's face it, is the best part of this. Okay, except that the, it, it was a huge character loop in which nothing happened. Um, right, everybody ends his, up exactly his daddy in the same came place. Back, right? What's his face? His well, daddy. A bunch of people came back that shouldn't have. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you mean Captain Jack? Yeah. Harkness? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but evil, there, evil there's Captain your, Jack Harkness. There's your Doctor Who. Um, Thank you. I I just I don't know if if I can watch Supergirl uh, yet. I I feel like it's the kind of show that I have to give it a full season. But they are going to do a crossover with the Flash. And so, I have to watch it. So, so here's here's what you need to know. Um, it's it's not bad. It's not bad at all. I don't believe you. I know you don't, and I don't care. The only the only thing that makes Arrow tolerable is Felicity Smoke. Yeah, she's amazing. She's my favorite. Yes, she's she's absolutely favorite. the best character in the show. She's Arrow's darling, apparently now. I don't know. Um, yeah. But all I mean, Oliver, Oliver is getting better and you can start to see actually the the real problem is that that, you know, we had Arrow started and 
the expectation was that they had to do a teen show with it. And so they had to have this, you know, pensive, you know, brooding mean, bullshit. I yeah. sleep with all the girls, but I'm sad. Right. Yeah. And um, and I think they're actually and Flash kind of proved this. They they can they can be more diverse in their characters. And Oliver McQueen was never that person in, in no. the comic book. So so it's kind of nice to see him being different in the show. Finally, um, took him three years though. We'll we'll see if it's sustained or if it'll go back into a loop because you know it's yet another team. It's what they do, yeah. <laughs> Um, which is also kind of happened in Flash occasionally, and we could talk about that too. But I just I I don't want to get drawn into another show in this universe because sometimes I don't want to watch another another show. I ha- I Black Mirror is amazing, and all I want is more Black Mirror. That's really, all I, really. I love- I loved it. It was fantastic. Never got past that first episode. Neither did I. Thank you very Most much. Most people don't. Oh, my God. What the was first the first episode? episode? The Pig. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was hilarious. But the rest... No, it wasn't. No, no, it wasn't. It, it was, was sad. Disgusting and it, sad. It was not, sad is not the word I would use. It's, it's the... Repulsive but that's, comes to but mind. See, you yes. only I, I maintain this, I believe this strongly. Um, you are the most open to learning when you're in a place where you're not comfortable. There's, there's a difference between not comfortable and vomitous. And it, there's a difference uh, between see, learning and vomiting, yeah. But see, the, here's the thing about, about Black Mirror that I think is really great is that each each episode stands as its own thing, and once you once you move on in that in that series, you really get get to see um, the the near future or or what where what the show creator said um, what the next five minutes could look like for us in in terms of human history, and and I fully I really do recommend you watch some more episodes. Well, I I, I went to the second episode, which is the one about the guys. On the treadmill and the the uh, reality bad already. See, that's the worst one of them all. No, it wasn't. It was the no. second worst. The worst one was the first one. <laughs> well, but the, the first the first one, yes, as far as you know, content or whatever. But what it's what it's saying, like how it's presenting humanity and what we do to each other, um, and for what reasons that that is worth talking about. Okay, the second so one, here's. Here's here's what I got. That first episode, yeah, what we do to each other, the things we do, the way we do them, I got it. I got it in the first 15 minutes. Didn't have to go an hour. I went to the second episode. They're preaching the same story. Right. That- and at this point I went, screw this. I don't need to be told the same story differently over and over again. No, Did no I, I don't think that that's a chance. No, I don't think that, that, that it's the same story though for the second episode because the outcome is so different. Yeah. So the dice um, differently that time is, is basically it. But the, the, and then, and then you start to get into some, some bigger, I think better, better episodes later, but this I all starts. So, but I, I just, it lost its allure for me at that point to the point where I just, I just didn't want to be gut punched again. You know? 
Yeah, but they, I, that that emotional reaction. I mean, it's a television show, and it and it's getting that kind of uh, See, reaction. But it, it wasn't. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but it wasn't that emotional of a reaction. It was just like, this is gross. I'm not watching this. There was there's really no that emotion. Was, yeah. Like uh, why the, why am I watching this? This is yucky, and now I'm done with it. And I mean, I get from that point why people just never went back to it. Why a lot of people just gave up on it at that point. And yet, you know, there may be other stuff there. I well, I mean, especially the there was a after the second season, there was a Christmas special with John Hamm, and that was just. I mean, it was really, really good. As many um, small run British television shows are, right. especially when they do a special. Um, and, and then you had, you had, uh, things about how we record our memories, um, you know, what, what kinds of illusions we can create for ourselves because of the, of the, of the tools we have at our disposal with massive amounts of information and code. And, art, and the emergence of artificial intelligence is like the, these; th- those those things are all wrapped up in it. And I think that it's uh, it's they're they're all tropes and stories that have been explored in fiction before. Yeah. Uh, to to other extents, but uh, this this puts it into realistic and accessible contexts for us today and i think that that says something about or that that has a has a place because not everybody is going to pick up on the the questions that are being wrestled with in vonnegut like you're not you're not going to always be picking up on what philip k dick is saying about what humanity is and what we value um especially not if you aren't smart so (laughs) so i think I think that I think that there's a there's a there's a place for something like Black Mirror that can make that kind of thing like can can I, I when my my wife did not like the first episode but when we watched more of them every single time we had conversations afterwards that were great because you know we we talked about how we felt about it what we thought about it whether or not we thought that it was true and whether it was saying something real about humanity or whether it was just um an exercise in fantasy so i think those conversations are probably happening um elsewhere too and that's really nice Uh, and and if so that's a good thing absolutely but uh yeah it just it just never got past that for me and i understand people who didn't get there and i understand that people did get there as well it just turned out at that point not to be mine anymore. Well, and and you know, really, um, there's something to be said for knowing when to give up on something. Yep. Like <laughs> when I don't know another Stephen King, <sighs> another per- director looks to is trying to like take over the stand and this is the same guy uh josh boone who is currently doing the dark tower maybe Uh, 
Who just really fin- knows? Finish a project before you start another one. That's all. It's that simple. Yeah, I don't understand what's going on, why why this is happening now. Uh, just very silly stuff. Have you have you been watching the X Files remake? I have not. I never watched the original show, um, and I've never felt the pull. So, no. Yeah, um, for for me, the X Files was always sarcastic quotes, and you're great. <laughs> for me, the X Files was always two different shows at the same time. One was the vast conspiracy show, and the other one was the monster of the week show. And, you know, everybody had their favorites as to which was which, which part of the X-Files they liked. I kind of liked both. Uh, and, and a lot of the subplots that went on, the, my, my favorite characters were the characters nobody remembers, like the lone gunman who wrote the conspiracy newspaper. Uh, but the interesting thing about this reboot is, is actually twofold. Chris Carter has been writing or managing the writing of all the episodes, and it shows they've been amazing. And the ratings for this Sex Files reboot actually beat the ratings for the original show. They're getting better ratings than the original show did. So the chances of it... there's more humans on the planet now. I don't think so because it's a percentage. But that's okay. That was a joke. I know, and so was the response. Are you sure? Um, Who knows anymore with you? So the fun part is that uh, the scripts have been just crisp and clean and fun and delightful and people are responding to it and I think that's wonderful. It's getting a lot of a lot of good talk and a lot of people watching it. But for me the funniest part of it is that at the same time this is going on, the CIA just dumped onto the internet gajillions of declassified UFO files. And literally on their website said, here's the real X-Files. Hmm. Uh, and, and God help anybody who tries to, to siphon their way through it. There is just like tons and tons and tons of data. And uh, I started looking through it and I went, oh, 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 that's too bad. And then I just kind of gave up after a while, which is I think what they wanted us to do. Yeah, there's not much to say. I mean, like, there's somebody's going to comb through all of it, but yeah. you know, the the, the people who do. are the people who believe that there that there's a conspiracy and there are hidden things are not going to take take this like aren't going to believe what's in the files anyway, and the people who hey, do I'm believe, I am a vast believer. In a UFO conspiracy, I always we, have. We know. I know. Yes, I know. And but this dump is not going to change that. Nope, not at all. <laughs> so absolutely kind of pointless not. is the point here. The whole thing is somewhat <coughs> pointless because it doesn't matter. Because hey, as Harry Nielsen said, you don't have to have a point. Yeah, to have you a- do. Harry <laughs> Nielsen was an ass. No, he wasn't. Yeah, he was. He's a fine musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you got to make, like, the final thing here? And, Kriana, just a reminder, because... 
it's not Doctor Who, I don't care. Sir Sarah isn't here, which means you've got to do who. Ah, son of a... You're welcome! You got reminded, actually. Fair enough. I'm going to type really loud right now. I'm shocked. (laughs) It's something different from what it usually is. I know. (laughs) I was being nice. So what do you, anything else you want to deal with before we head out for the evening, Java? Um, my only other story is about a film at Sundance. And the only thing that matters is the headline, which is um, The Lure, just your average 80s-infused gothic horror musical with vampire mermaids. Of course. That's, that's all you really need to know. What's coming up on the show in the next couple of weeks, Kriana? Well, shit, I didn't bring that one up. Also, I don't think we have a calendar. Actually, we do, but that's okay. Oh, good for us. Mm, Let's see. Next week, we have Rob Watson, Stacey Longo to come on and talk about My Peculiar Family. Some more. Um, And on the 20th, we have Jake Vanderend of Spriteborn Games. They make Yomi's Gate. And it's one of the coolest looking games that someone has seen in a while, but I'm not sure um, what platform it's for or anything like that. So I think we'll find out, though. We'll figure it out. Um, We have to figure out who thinks it's the coolest game. And then other than that... That would have been Booking Monkey, I hmm, think. Well, Booking Monkey needs a little bit of a spanking. Spanking the Booking Monkey. <laughs> never mind. I'll never say that again. Never say that Or should I say it every week? Uh, no. Should we ask him? Absolutely not. Anyway, Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArtHouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on lawrencemademecry.com. Tonight's intro music provided by Rob Watts. Find more of his creations at robwattsonline.com. Dome. Happy birthday, Bob Shaw. Let's you just start. with that. Happy birthday, Bob freaking Shaw. You made him wait till the end of the episode. One of the ten coolest guys in the universe. I also want to thank our two guests tonight, Karen Goslin and Hope Nicholson, uh, for uh, writing because they're both really cool writers. And and thanks for being on the show. And I want to thank most of the cast because most of the cast was actually here tonight. From the revered Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana. I'm really just a figment of your imagination. What? What? Exactly. Back from the shadows into the yogurt again. Thank you, Java. Sure. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone.